Welcome back to another episode of Hot Off The Hip. This podcast exists to connect and inspire young professionals in West Michigan through shared stories and aspirations. Young professional is a term used to describe those in the first half of their career. This podcast's goal is to connect you more thoroughly to our vibrant young professional community through this show. I'm your host, Johannes Boot, Vice President of the Holland Zealand Young Professionals. Also with me is Simone Withers, this season's co-host. If you want to learn more about Simone, you can get a great picture of her work and mindset in the Season 2, Episode 1 interview. Thank you for taking some time today to listen in. Today, it is our pleasure to welcome Johanna Jenkins-Lease. Currently, she is the Director of Community Impact at the Community Foundation of Holland, Zealand. And over the past few years, Johanna has been very involved in our community and has received recognition as the 2016 HYP Equity Matters Award recipient, the 2019 West Coast Leadership Graduate, the 2020 HYP Leadership Matters Award recipient, the 2019 Social Justice Award presented by the Community Relations for the City of Holland, and just recently this past year, the 2021 HYP Young Professional of the Year Leadership Award. In this interview, we're going to discover Johanna's incredible journey into the heart of Holland, what motivates her, and why you, as a young professional, should consider fear as a motivator. Let's listen in as Simone begins the discussion, starting with the YP of the Year Leadership Award. Johanna, my colleague, my friend, my literal next-door neighbor, (laughs) welcome. I am truly honored and thrilled to have you on the podcast today. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. Oh, and by the way, congratulations again on winning the HYP 2021 Young Professional Leader of the Year. Uh, For the listeners who don't know, this award is essentially the premier HYP Leadership Award and is presented to a deserving young professional who has had a community equity and leadership impact on this area through their work and volunteerism. That sounds like you, Johanna. (laughs) How did it feel to win this award? What did it mean to you? I was not expecting it. I, I was, I I never thought that I could be the young professional of the year. That's not what I even perceived myself as. So I, I don't know. I just, I never thought I deserved it either. When I got the call, I was like, why me? So, you know, but after processing and, reflecting on that moment it just also feels really good to be to be seen in in this community and by an amazing organization like Collins Young Young Professionals so absolutely you are you are so graceful and humble uh as your friend I will say it was no surprise whatsoever I was actually like yes yes to Holland recognizing strong powerful black women um I'm all here for it So I want to dive into your story. I want to set the background so we can fully appreciate you and better connect with the lessons we can learn from your experience. So my fellow Caribbean queen, you were born in St. Kitts. What was it like growing up in a tropical paradise with such a strong family? So for people who might not know where St. Kitts is, we're like a little chicken drumstick in the Eastern Caribbean um, (laughs) on the tip of the arc of the archipelago. Um, it's beautiful. Um, I particularly miss it this time of year. So recording right now in early spring. 
Um, the sunshine, the community, just being a part of such a, a vibrant nation. Um, you know, my grandpa, he was an entrepreneur, so I grew up as part of a small family business. We like to joke that we built the coffins, we buried individuals, and we had the wreaths, the flowers for the wreaths for the funeral. So can you guess what that was? We we had a, a funeral home, a flower shop, and a construction company. Wow. So um, I grew up uh, working in that and, you know, helping with office work, paperwork, payroll, um, and it was a really formative time in my life. My mom in particular really, you know, would sit with families in their pain um, when they were suffering and coming to us at a really difficult time in their lives and being able to work with them through the, that circumstance and just wait until they were ready for the next step and partner with them and making whatever their needs were come to be addressed. Um, and my dad was also a pastor. Um, so very philanthropic. Our doors were literally always open unless we were asleep. Mm -hmm. Um, people in the community who were in need knew where to come if they were hungry or if they just needed, um, some money to get by. Um, so just the community that was built because of two very amazing parents and, um, with my sisters who, you know, sisters, you kind of ebb and flow in how close you are, but I'd say we're pretty close as adults. It's, it really shaped who, who I was and, um, and who I've become, I think, and just kind of having that really human centered, people centered approach in, in how I engage and, and my posture and how I show up in community. Wow. Wow. Incredible. What great role models for you growing up to see your parents, your grandparents, like generational almost values um, instilled in you and your sisters as you were young. So you received a BA in international studies in New York City and later interned in Washington, D.C. How did these major cities shape you and prepare you for your arrival in Holland? New York, New York. Anyone on there listening from New York? <laughs> well, lived in the Bronx. Uh, went to school in Harlem. Um, such a vibrant community. The people, the place, the smells. I mean, some pretty gross smells, but also some <laughs> pretty amazing, amazing scents. Just passing by, like, 12 a.m., 2 a.m., you know the bodega is going to be open. You know that Jamaican restaurant across the street is going to be open with some mac and cheese and some rice and beans and some stewed oxtail. So mm. just an amazing, vibrant place and the art in Harlem mm -hmm. and the businesses and just a really great place to be and to transition from St. Kitts to New York um, and going to the City College of New York, which is very diverse school, multi-ethnic, multicultural. It was just an amazing experience. Um, I went to school to be a civil engineer because I was planning to go back home to be a part of the family business. Um, after my first semester, I called my mom like, I don't think I could do this. My <laughs> The math class and the math teacher. And I'm just like, I want to come home. Um, and she was just like, wait it out for a little while. And, you know, I had just 
it was a really difficult year in the sense of just like exploring who who am I? Who do I want to become? And being an international student, I didn't have the luxury of taking time off or of just kind of taking random classes. I really had to be on a path to graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I dipped my toe into the nonprofit world when I interned in Washington, D.C. I didn't really know that was an option for me growing up. You know, we had NGOs or non-governmental organizations, but we didn't really have a nonprofit sector. You had the government and you had um, business. So not really knowing that was a career and then being able to explore in D.C. what that was like um, and that I could actually pursue a career in this sector. Um, So that was a really crucial time in my college career of um, just discovering that, hey, you have these passions and interests. Even when I wanted to be a civil engineer, I thought I wanted to do like a community center on the side. And Mm. it's like, hey, I could do this as a job, not like as a volunteer type of thing. And uh, a lot of our community centers are owned by the government. So it just never really felt like something I could pursue or or neighbor neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, uh, being able to recognize that, hey, I could explore this path. Um, And then in toward the end of my time in New York, I was in grad school, reconnected with this guy, become my husband. Mm -hmm. Um, And here we are like, oh, Holland, where's Holland? Um, You know, just kind of a couple steps back in, in the sense of like my experience in D.C. was an awakening for me in who I am and who I want to be in this um, next several years of my life, but it was also an awakening to just the desperateness and of the disparities that existed within the United States. Like it was just mm-hmm. such a stark experience of one working in a just I was one of two individuals of color in that organization, um, and it was a large organization. I didn't see many people who looked like me, mm-hmm. except in certain parts of DC. Um, and in the ways in which um, even at that time, President Barack Obama being in office, it, it, it felt like we were supposed to be in this post-racial era. And here we are still in this very much so stark disparities and injustice um, taking place. And, um, you know, just being able to to recognize that I... This is this is where I am, and then moving to New, to to Holland, and then living that experience every single day of my life of just like here I am standing out constantly as one of a few in spaces. Holland is you know the city of Holland is thirty percent people of color, but it's very segregated, and just being able to. I knew I had no choice. <laughs> Let's just say it that way. I showed up here and I knew right away. Um, I landed at the Lakeshore Ethnic Diversity Alliance in a racial equity bubble. Um, and I say it that way in the sense of just the people that I was surrounded by were just passionate about this work and of seeing change in our community. And, you know, having these combined experiences of New York, DC coming to ho- to 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 Holland, um, I knew that this work was gonna be what I was gonna be about. So, 
you know did that answer the question oh my gosh (laughs) absolutely no absolutely and I mean I think I think you said it perfectly you know growing up in the Caribbean living in New York going to DC and kind of having a first person experience with like the state of the United States our country um and then moving to Holland and like that almost like reinforcing um how there are still opportunities to improve in many ways in our country. Um, I can totally see how that that trajectory brought you to wanting to find a home in the social justice world. Yeah. And this, the people-centered nature of how I grew up. It's yeah. just like the cause of injustice wasn't an option for me. It was just its core to who I am mm-hmm. and and how I was raised and, you know, for Growing up, it wasn't, it, it, it was, you know, economic inequity and um, just being able to, to show up for people in different spaces of their lives and recognizing the history of um, colonialism and Eurocentricity, but also growing up in a space where our prime minister was Black and our teachers are Black. So it's a predominantly Black space and you see Black beauty and Black just the celebration of all the amazing things that black people have accomplished and then moving to New York and seeing it again in many spaces, but also the like clear impacts of just economic extraction from communities of color, the oppression, and then bringing it to a head in DC where you just see the stark differences every day. Like who comes off the train where and who goes on. And then here I am in Holland and I'm going to build a life with a husband. He's a white man. And we're going to have multiracial kids. Like, it's not a choice, right? For me, showing up every day, it's it's life or death. It's about my kids. It's about mm-hmm. who comes next. And, and 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 it's just about righting wrongs. So, yeah. 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 It's, almost, um, it's almost out of survival in a way. And I often say that for myself, you mm-hmm. know, when I talk about the DEI work that I do. It's like, out of survival, how could I not? Yeah. How could I not when I'm a woman, when I'm a person of color? Um, and you know, when you represent all of these intersecting spaces, um, yeah, yeah, I can totally see it. And you're brave and you're courageous to totally jump in and be like, I'm going to do something about it. Um, so you arrived in Holland in 2013. And since then you've had a variety of positions in the public sector, including, uh, Lakeshore Ethnic Diversity Alliance, which you mentioned, Good Samaritan Ministries, Lighthouse Immigrant Advocates, only to name a few. Um, would you say there's a common theme or driving force behind what you do? Yeah, you know, I was thinking, you know, a couple years ago, a few years ago, in my experience with um, West Coast leadership, one of the last questions they were, which like, how are you going to say, what are your yeses and your noes? What's your lens going to be mm. for making those decisions? And equity was what it all came down to. That's where I was going to spend my time and my energy. And for me, my faith is just really important to me. And Micah 6-8 really stands out to me in the sense of that, the concept of, you know, seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly. And uh, Micah, that whole book is, is really about the leaders who have been extracting from their people whose feet are on the necks of the people oppressing and really calling leaders out and saying this is what I desire of you 
to seek justice, remove those barriers, rebalance the scales, love mercy, walk humbly. You can do all the things, you know, I'll go through all the processes of all the rituals and traditions, things that you might read in scripture. But if that's not at your core, you could practice your religion as flawlessly as you desire. But if that's not at your core, and for me, like if no matter what I do, whether that's something that might outwardly seem good or outwardly seem bad or whatever, if at the core, if my drive isn't thinking about that, seeking justice, loving mercy, walking humbly, then I'm doing something wrong. Wow. Oh my goodness. And knowing you, working alongside you, Micah 6-8 perfectly sums up who you are as a person. That makes so much sense. It really clicks. Um, I want to break this mission down even more and talk about how you've seen this play out in your own life. So let's start with seeking justice. Yeah. So when I think about justice, so, you know, thinking about the idea of rebalancing scales, removing those barriers completely, I think about the work of the, of CARE. So CARE, Community Action for Racial Justice and Equity, um, was birthed out of many other birthings. So it's kind of a an iteration of many other attempts to to do this work of racial justice in the community. And at its core, it's saying who are the ones who are most impacted by the systems, most oppressed, most experiencing or experiencing or living lives on the margins of society. And how do we reshape the narrative where we're recentering voices recentering those voices in our attempts to do anything in the community and how do we bring people from a multitude of sectors and industries along in this conversation how do we build meaningful and deep relationships to actuate institutional structural and systemic change and i think that that model that multiracial, multi-ethnic, multi-sector conglomerate of voices that are attempting to make change and really rebalance the scales, remove barriers. Um, That is, that's what care is and that's what justice work is about. And, And for me, that's just, just so important because when we're changing this world, it's not just about the people who are here right now. This is a long, long work that many have been fighting for so long. We've got our communities of color who've been here for generations upon generations who've been working and shaping and pushing and get tired and get oppressed and abused and in so many ways and extracted and there's constantly this uh, this feeling of okay maybe we're making some progress and then it just all feels like it bounces back and and for me I'm just really standing on the shoulders of people who've been here for ever on this fight and really trying to continue on what the pastor Denise is and um, so many others have really been fighting for so long in this community. And then thinking about then who 
will come ahead of us, our children, mm-hmm. our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. What kind of legacy of work are we leaving? What does this world, this community look like for them to really flourish in? Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of, that's the lens, I guess, with the the concept of how I view justice work in the community. It's tiring. It's a relay. <laughs> you mm-hmm. kind of do a back and forth sometimes. Mm-hmm. Take a break. You stand back. You move. You take. You go ahead. You partner. It's long. It's you know centuries long work here. Yeah, it and, is. It's long work. But yeah. when we stretch and we try to do um, those big big things, make those big moves, even if we feel like we're taking steps backward. Um, that really shouldn't deter us from pursuing that growth and that impact and that change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, something that you said in your nomination form for your award that you got last year was that you really hope to leave the world a little better than you found it. And I would, I dare say that you're leaving it a lot better than mm-hmm. you found it. Yeah. Um, and you also hope to leave the legacy of love for your family, for your community and God. And, I mean, absolutely. Um, You talk about how we're standing on the shoulders of generations that came before us doing this work. And at the same time, we're we're bracing ourselves and like we're getting ready to bear the weight of those who will stand on our shoulders too, moving forward. Absolutely. Um, And that's that's just so beautiful. So talk to me about um, love mercy. Why these specific words, love mercy, that translation, um, you hold on to that as opposed to other translations of this Bible verse. Yeah, yep. So so other translations, some other translations say love kindness. And, you know, sometimes I think kindness can be viewed as, you know, a little bit surface, a little, you know, not, not transformative. And for me, you know, the idea of mercy, it's deep, it's impactful, it's transformative. And, and that is, you know, what draws me to that element of of the of the translation for me loving mercy is is really thinking about how to create space looking for the missing voices the gaps who how do we create space for others and bring others along and not just about bringing others along to be followers or um bringing others along so that we can extract or exploit but bringing a lot of others along so that they can find their voice or elevate or amplify their own voices that they can continue on and then carve out space for others as well. So yeah, for me, you know, love mercy, it's, it's really about that deep connection and transformative work. And bringing people along with you, which I think really works um, and segues into the last part, which is walking humbly um, especially as a leader, how do you walk humbly and what does that truly, truly mean when you are um, trying to kind of push beyond your own ego and really bring those people along? Yeah, yeah. So humility, this idea of, you know, not thinking any more or any less of ourselves, but really having true clarity about who we are. And knowing who we are doesn't allow, allows us to be able to trust others. Mm-hmm. It allows us to really launch into spaces that might seem either uninviting or 
mm-hmm. just not even for us. Um, good leaders, as I mentioned earlier on, you know, they create followers, they create great, uh, great leaders. And, and when we're talking about humility, if you're going to do that and then feel threatened by someone else, either taking something from you or, um, or feel threatened that creating space for others then dims your own light, then the only way to combat that is having true clarity about yourself and your direction and that anyone else's light doesn't, um, it's not, it doesn't feel threatening to you. And even if it does feel like, okay, we've all, we're all here. So my light isn't shining as super bright and we're dimming, you know, the impact of it all. If we have clarity on the ultimate goal, then that doesn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you said earlier about like great leaders creating other leaders. Um, you're absolutely right. When we're comfortable and we're confident in who we are, we know tried and true what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are, and we are totally okay with bringing other people on who can fill in those gaps and who have strengths that you don't have. Um, there's something that I always say when I come across people that kind of bristle at the word empower. Mm-hmm. Um, empowering does not mean loss of your own power. That's not at all what it is at all. Um, and something that you had mentioned to me when, um, in one of our many talks that we have when we chat, um, you said, um, not viewing that creation of space, like when you create space as a leader, not viewing it as a minimization of your own voice, um, but really understanding that when you bring other people in, we create this echo chamber where we're, we're bouncing off each other and we're echoing, um, together and we're building together and we're building influence together. Yeah. Um, and building influence makes me think about something that you and I work very closely on together, which is women of color give. Um, you are the originator of this idea of women of color give. This was your idea. Tell me how you came to, um, to wanting to create an organization like this. I was pissed off. <laughs> That's <laughs> I just, you know, it was really a coffee meeting with uh, Robin Afrake, co-founder, and I, so again, I come from a very philanthropic community. I land here. I know that, like, our Black community here is so philanthropic in the sense of just, uh, in, in our Latino community and our communities of color, but when we, when we're looking at, um, uh, our larger community and Holland is a very philanthropic community and it's something that we tell in different spaces and in our um, in the United States but in formal philanthropy it just feels like you know it, it often felt like or we often saw or nonprofits often were responding to are very male very white um, philanthropic community and I was just so over it. I'm like, how do we create our own table? And you mentioned that in the last podcast, right? Mm-hmm. How do we really create our own space? Like, we don't, let's stop waiting for the invitations to the next, you know, donor gathering or whatever. Or, um, and of course, there are other giving circles that exist that many of our members were a part of, but really it 
felt like it was this constant feeling of assimilation, not mm-hmm. a we can show up fully in formal philanthropy as ourselves, give in the ways that feel good to us, in the ways that feel natural to us, and and be able to influence change in a way that centered our interests and our needs. Mm-hmm. And having to constantly wait to be invited into formal philanthropic spaces, um, we were just like, let's just create our own thing. And again, honoring that philanthropy already existed, and but it's just, um, as in our communities of color, just not recognized informal philanthropy. And for me, like, that was what the goal of Women of, women of Color Give was and is, is in this sense of creating our own space, but also reshaping, reframing, shaking up traditional or formal philanthropy and building that momentum. We've got like what, over 80 members um, and uh, of women of all backgrounds, mm-hmm. of just such diverse backgrounds and interests and heritage. And we're all really lining up behind this idea of we want to create a space for us and by us. We want to be able to reimagine, invest, and connect with each other. We want to be able to invest in causes that support the advancement, development, promotion of Black, Indigenous, people of color on the lakeshore. We're all coalescing around this piece, and we're we're giving in our own ways still. We're showing up in our own individual spaces, but we're also reframing and reshaping and building this table together. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it was just being tired of or frustrated by, so mostly frustrated. And and then, you know, Robin is the activator. <laughs> She's mm-hmm. like, well, then let's do something. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I will talk about it later, but I... I was I was afraid. I was like, who am I to be doing that? Like, who am I to be like saying, yeah, we're gonna create this thing here in Holland or mm-hmm. um to show up in that way or to invite anyone else to a table yeah. or, you know, to build a table. Like who am I? And um but again, it goes back to that like core driving force. You see a problem, like, I see a problem, I see an issue, I see the existence of injustice, of just pain. Mm-hmm. I I just, I can't not. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, we, we have similar backgrounds, not the same, but similar immigrant backgrounds, Caribbean mm-hmm. backgrounds, New York City backgrounds. And so... Um, I, I really, really sympathize. Like when I, when I first met you many years ago and you, t- you, were, t- you were talking to me about this idea of women of color give, this is before we even launched. Um, and you're like, you know, uh, I want to create a space where we like, we can do it ourselves, you know, r- reframe this narrative of like communities of color constantly being in need of money because uh, unfortunately money is uh, is power in the in this world um like why don't we be the money let's just be the money let's stop asking let's stop waiting for um approval and and jumping through all those hoops and like let's just do this ourselves and i think when we live in spaces that are um 
set, you know, segregated in different kinds of ways when we live in places where you don't see as many people of color being celebrated and honored for their leadership, for their impact, um, when you don't see a lot of that representation, an organization like Women of Color Give is that perfect opportunity to highlight all the beautiful stories, the collective power, the collective um, impact that our community can give. Yeah. It's beautiful. And it definitely it definitely makes sense. I can totally see, like, hearing your backstory, how you would come to wanting to create something like this, even if you were a little... <laughs> nervous to do so. Um, but I want to I wanna bring it back to this mission again. Uh, I would think that it's hard for anyone to argue against a mission of seeking justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly. Have you experienced tension in your places of work when you've tried to live out this mission? Well, you know, so I mentioned earlier that Holland, again, a very philanthropic community and I work with a a team of individuals at the community foundation who are passionate about this about seeing you know injustices injustices addressed um who where you know we work with um a consultant internally in the sense of just being able to ensure that we are um addressing our biases that we're you know creating a space internally where everyone who works there feels safe welcomed valued um but showing up into formal philanthropy whether that's representing my employer or um women of color give at different places events corporate corporations um it's you know i'm often um the only woman of color in the room and it could it It's intimidating. It's hard when you feel like you're constantly trying to carve out space for yourself when you're showing up and people either expect that you're there to ask for something or um, when you show up and people are like, um, you know, don't believe that you work where you work or don't... um, yeah, I've I've gotten the like the where are you from before you could even jump into a conversation. It's mm. you know, it it's it, it can be it it can be lonely. Um and yeah, so it is a lot when you're feeling like you're constantly trying to carve out space, especially in the inter- the external um spaces. Um so and that, and that you're also, like, representing every person of color, too. So it feels like you're just carrying this huge weight constantly. Um, and I know that it's important to do it. And again, like, my driving force and all of the things, I know that and I'm hoping that I'm, when I'm showing up, I'm at least carving out space for other women of color, other people of color, to be able to fully show up as themselves in these spaces, to not have to feel like they have to minimize their blackness or Latino identity or any of it. Like, you know, the minimization piece is is real. Like, Mm -hmm. um, or feel like if you do something that it'll be called out or, or all of these things to feel like you have to go like hidden or, um, it's a lot to navigate, 
but it's important um, to do that. And, and like I mentioned, I'm hoping that at least that creates more pathways for more voices because I can't be expected to my my like background my identity it's I'm I have a very specific story that I cannot be expected to speak for everyone else and anyone else no absolutely not no and that that's that certainly should never be the expectation but I think for um minorities when we are often the only person in a room or one of two in in a whole office we're forced to be that. Mm-hmm. Whether we want to or not, we are literally the only representation. Um, and I want to be really clear. It's so difficult, and I'm so sorry that you have to deal with like those parts of it, like the heavy parts. Um, and unfortunately, your story is not unique in that way. I think there are plenty of uh, BIPOC leaders in this community that feel similarly. Um, but I also, I also want to highlight how, how much love and how much beauty and how much delight is witnessed in the social justice work. There's a reason why we do this work. It's for all of the beautiful people that are very deserving of this work. Um, it's to collaborate with so many people, whether, you know, no matter their background, no matter, um, their, their state in life. But to be able to lean into their strengths and to see them, like, see that light in their eyes and know that they are capable, they are deserving, they are willing to, to cause it, to create an impact. Um, that's, that's really why we do this work. And it is. It's beautiful. It's wonderful work. At the and same time. Oh, go ahead. Be honest. It's really interesting where your driving mission of seeking justice, loving mercy, and working, walking humbly, it's not so much that everybody agrees with the mission or sees the mission or sees exactly where you're coming from, what part of justice are you focusing on? But through that mission, when you're highlighting justice, you're also like, well, this is the justice that needs to be done. How can I also show mercy in the cases where mercy is needed while accomplishing and making a difference, walking humbly? And despite the tension that may come up, that is a really, really amazing way to do the work that you're doing. It's, Thank you, and and I appreciate you naming the the piece around um, showing mercy in spaces where, especially injustice, is is happening, and and that that part can be a lot, <laughs> um, especially if it's clearly calling out, identifying the injustice that's taking place, obviously, particularly when it comes to the individual who might be perpetrating, but also Mm. doing so in a way that hopefully conveys passion and certain level of like, you are human being, I see your human nature, your capacity Mm. to also love. And I hope that at some point you are able to see the horrors of the injustice that you're mm-hmm. perpetrating and also be able to to come to some form of reconciliation as it pertains to not doing that again. Um, yeah. But, yeah. And I'm sure that's where a lot of the transformative powers of justice and mercy come into play when they're in stark tension. Yeah, and <laughs> but always centering the voices who are oppressed. Amen. And yeah, yeah cool. absolutely. Yeah. Um. I can imagine that being a trailblazer 
like this in many ways can cause um, some stress on your well-being. And I want to know a little bit more um, just listening to you talk and just like how I was going to say it. If I accomplished half the things that you have, I would be like, make way. It's (laughs) and here you are, you know, multi award winner for, for a lot of the social justice work. And you're like, how could it be me? You know, like I, it, it boggles me. Um, and I really want to kind of touch on some of, some of these notes about, you know, fear or, you know, I'm afraid to kind of step out or like, why me and all these things how has this work in that way like impacted you personally like where do you notice some of that yeah I mean I honestly some days I just don't even know why people keep asking me to do things because I'm like I'm not any good at any of it or I don't know like you know it just it it the constantly carving out space piece it it's a part of the weighing is do I actually belong here? Am I like carving out because I don't? Am I am I even like qualified? Can I actually do the thing? Hmm. Um will they one day discover that I actually don't know what I'm doing? <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's just it's mind games, it's stuff that, you know, are you know, a part of it is socialization in the sense of being women, being a black woman, like you know, um, in in a lot of ways, like in in um, in a male dominated society, like who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? What's my role expected to be? Um, and and leading and being out front and being the center of anything. Um, it just feels like it. It feels uncomfortable or it feels unnatural, and you know we feel the internalized stereotype threat or. Um, imposter syndrome and all of these things um and so sometimes just like dropping a comment in a conversation or in a boardroom or in whatever right it feels scary it feels like what like my thought doesn't even matter like why am I even going to speak up um but I do (laughs) um and a a big part of it, it's just, you know, just a lot of internal, like, one, reminding myself, like, okay, you went to school, you know all this stuff, you once upon a time wrote multiple papers on different things, like, mm-hmm. it's just reminding, being surrounded by people who see you and who just, like, you know, shower you with the things you need in the moments where you're feeling like, I can't do it, or I'm not even supposed to be here, um, but... It's a, it's a thing that we carry around and a lot of it, it's society driven, personality. Mm-hmm. It just is. And, um, you know, I'm not going to tell you my age, but like <laughs> first half of thirties. <laughs> so getting up there for the young professional situation. Um, but you know, it's, it's that like just being in the spotlight, that stage fright, right? That fright, fear of just having, all eyes on you and it's that I'm absolutely gonna mess up I'm not the words I'm gonna say aren't gonna flow it's not gonna communicate what I'm trying to say it's not gonna be as impactful people aren't gonna stand and cheer like whatever perspective you have in your mind of like outcomes um 
and and whatever you measure yourself up against. So just so many things and so mm-hmm. many reasons that you just have these internal voices that are just, you know, not your friends. That yeah. Well, I'm your friend. <laughs> I'm your friend. Yes. And I will tell you right here and now that you are an absolute queen. But, you know, th- this is, I think this is a really important point that you're making. Um, when... You look at you look at people that are doing social justice work. You look at leaders who are who are trailblazing, and you might only see like their accomplishments and what they're doing. And sometimes I look up to people like you or like Robin, or and I'm like, wow, superheroes! They're like superheroes, you know. But no, at the end of the day, we're human beings, and when we are minorities in positions where we are trying to advocate for um, for our community's rights and when we are oftentimes the only people in the room these are the side effects you know you of course of course if if you're the only woman of color if you're the only black woman in the room or if I'm like the only you know under 30 year old person in the room who who wants to share my own opinion of course I'm gonna kind of second guess and be like well do I even have the right to you know, I'm not seeing anybody else here like me. Um, that's like such a frustrating part about the work that we do. Um, incredible work, incredible people doing incredible work. And yet at the same time, there are those moments of doubt um, because of the environment we're in, because of the work we're doing. And sometimes we do have our backs against the wall and it's and and you, you're on this defensive almost in a way. Um, but at the end of the day. I think a really, really great point and a really great um, lesson to be learned for us as young professionals is that um, we should push forward anyway, Mm -hmm. because we are really, really going to create great impact and we are going to change the world. Um, And I would say, too, I would add to this with a question. Would your mission of seeking justice, loving mercy and walking humbly be really be your mission? If, if you st- uh, stood in fear in these, you have to stand up. You don't have a choice, do you? Yeah. And that, I mean, the, a big part of it, it's, it's not about me, right? And, right. and that's like, um, if it was about me and my own thing, I probably wouldn't. But yeah, when it's about my neighbor and my community and my kids, I just, I, you know, Gotta no choice. It. Gotta do it. Absolutely. Um, so... As a HIP award winner, mm-hmm. what advice or encouragement would you share with other young professionals um, in our area who are looking to achieve more and make an impact? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the times, again, going back to the doubt and the, you know, it's, it can be translated across any identity groups, right, that, that are maybe not currently or traditionally in formal positions of power or institutional power. Um, and we feel like we're in the room and we, you know, we just are, um, the youngest one in the room and clearly they're doing the thing and they know what they're doing because they've been here 30 years, 50 years. (laughs) And, um, you know, you've been working toward this moment your entire life since you were, you popped out of the womb or Mm -hmm. whatever you've been working your way to this entire, this day, your entire life. Like, you've got the skills, you've got the talent, you've got the ideas. 
Um, and again, not saying the in the sense of the only, mm-hmm. but in the sense of you have something to contribute. Mm-hmm. Just do it. Just put your hand up or or just, you know, put yourself out there. Go for the next thing too, you know, like just, you know, if, if there's something, I think the last podcast was about, you know, the, Simone's podcast was about trying something new, different, your bucket list, going for it. If, if you've been dreaming about that, like, job at that next company or that next promotion or whatever, like, go for it. You have what it takes to succeed. Like, um, I think about it as, like, scaffolding, you know, whether that's through a teaching technique or whatever. Like, everything you do has built up to the next thing that builds up to the next thing that's preparing you for whatever is coming you're ready. You've got the skills. You've got ideas. Just put yourself out there. Absolutely. And do it afraid. Do it afraid. Do it. And do it afraid. Yeah. And just even if you got to tell yourself, I'm afraid right now, but I'm going to do it. And that's what I do. Like, I'm like, I'm nervous. My stomach's twisted. I'm like, try to be as self-aware as I can. What's happening to me? Palms are sweaty. Not going to do the Eminem song. But, (laughs) you know, whatever's happening, heart is racing, stomach's getting all twisted. I'm nervous. I'm afraid. I, I, and, and dig into it as well. Like, what am I afraid of? I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. I'm afraid I'm going to stumble. I'm afraid I'm going to fall right into the room. You know, whatever. Just go for the worst fears or, you know, all of those pieces. But just level with yourself. Say, I am afraid, but I'm going to do it anyway. Just mm-hmm. go for it. And, and sometimes it's just verbalizing it. Or if you're in a car with someone else and you don't want to verbalize it, have that internal dialogue, but do it anyway. Yeah, absolutely. That is so inspiring. And that's something that you uh, spoke about during awards night um, mm-hmm. in December yeah. last year, that idea of doing it afraid. And I, I love that. I really do. It's so motivating. So to our listeners, you know, maybe your mission is totally different. Regardless, um, you will encounter obstacles along the way. And whatever mission that's driving you, act on it, even if you're afraid. There are one or two things, if, if there were one or two things you want our listeners to take away from this episode, what would they be? So I think the first one is just speaking up. So I think I touched on it a little bit earlier. You know, ask the tough questions, even if you feel like it's coming out of left field, like, you know, no one else is even talking about this thing. Just do it. You know, if you don't put those questions out there on the table, who else will? Systems aren't changed by people continuing to kind of in echo chambers. That's not how systems are changed. That's not how new things get done. That's not how new feats get accomplished. If you don't put the, the, the thing that feels different or feels out there on the table, then we're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again. And if the systems don't get changed or challenged, nothing happens. We're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again. You're going to keep being frustrated over and over again. We're not going to innovate. We're not going to be creative. And and sometimes what you put out there might not land. And do it again. And do it afraid. (laughs) (laughs) The second would be just showing up. Um... If you're not in the room, what did you say the last at the last on your podcast? If you're not in the room, 
You're on the menu. You're on the menu, right? <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. No, if you're yes, if you're not, not invited to the table, then you're probably what's on the menu. Yes, <laughs> yes, and, and a lot of it is just like, just keep carving out those spaces for yourself, for others, right? Because if the voices aren't there, then the, again, the changes aren't going to happen. And then if you have that opportunity to join the board, you go to an event, you hear of an organization that's doing amazing things that you're interested in or um, an event's happening and people are going to be there who are talking about things that you're interested in, then do that. Take up space. And I, I say that to everyone as much as I say it to myself. Um, and my friends say it to me as much as I need to hear it. Mm. It's okay. It's not you being pompous. And I feel like the taking up space piece feels like it's in contradiction to that humility value that I have. But again, humility is about not thinking any less or any more than yourself, but exactly having that clarity about who you are mm. and being okay with then being who you are in whatever spaces you are. And if you need 10 quarts of spaces, I don't know, not measurement, that's, <laughs> you take that space. Take up the space. Absolutely. Don't shrink yourself or anybody. Um, and it might feel safer, but it's not. It's detrimental to you. Every time we shrink a little bit, we, you know, a little part of us kind of dissipates or dies or gets quieter and quieter. And then we wonder... Why can't we remember that part of ourselves, or why can't we do that thing anymore? It's because we've been constantly knocking away at those pieces of us every time we shrink ourselves. Um, and yeah, I think at the end of the day, we know more than we think. Um, and our community has a lot of needs that we're wrestling with. We need all as many voices as we can informing showing up, inspiring, influencing change. So absolutely. Oh my goodness. Incredible. Thank you so much, Johanna. And I encourage all of our listeners to take this to heart. Find your mission. What are you interested in? What concerns you? Ask those tough questions and take up space, especially in those moments where you really want to shrink and, and be as small as possible. Expand, breathe in, lift your chin and take up space. So I want to thank you for your time, Johanna. Thank you so much for gracing us um, with your presence, dropping all of this knowledge. I am so inspired. I'm inspired by you every day. And um, I really feel like we can just keep talking forever about all of these things. Like, really, your story is incredible. Um, but as we wrap up, I just want to know, are there any projects or organizations you want to plug? Yeah, um... So, Women of Color Give, of course, um, at WLC Give on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I'll add here, so we're just on Facebook, Community Action for Racial Justice and Equity. Follow us. Um, and, yeah, and, and you know, everyone knows Community Foundation Holland Zealand, so if you haven't followed us on Instagram, do so. But those would be the works, yeah. Absolutely. And if listeners wanted to connect with you, what would be the best way to do so? Check me out on LinkedIn. So I'm Johanna Jenkins Lease on LinkedIn. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for being here. It's been a joy to talk with you today. Amen. And thank you to the listener 
for tuning in to another episode of Hot Off The Hip. Make sure to check out our events page at www.behip.org. That's www.behyp.org for the current offerings of community and development events created by the Holland Zealand Young Professionals. Also take a moment to look at the show notes. Check out those links that Johanna and Simone mentioned and connect with our guest, guest or leave a voice message with your thoughts on the episode. Today's show was a blast to put together and I look forward to doing this again soon on the next episode of Hot Off The Hit.